Hey, I'm Andrew Blumenfeld, and this is the Money in Politics podcast. You've probably heard a thing or two about relational organizing. That's a concept that has gotten a bit of attention in the last few cycles. For those that don't know, this is where rather than just having a campaign supporters and volunteers talk to strangers, you know, at their doors, on the phone, at farmers markets, etc. This is where instead of that, or at least in addition to that, supporters and volunteers are connecting with those people that already exist in their networks and encouraging them to vote a certain way, for example. There is a growing body of research to support this idea that's pretty common sense, which is that people are much more reachable and persuadable by those individuals that they already know and trust. But how does this translate to fundraising? How campaigns effectively leverage supporters to help them raise funds is a big topic and one that I imagine we'll cover a lot here. But to give us one take, I'm speaking today with Shola Farber, the co-founder and chief strategy officer of The Tuesday Company. That's a Democratic firm that helps organizations strengthen its relationships with supporters to drive community activism and fundraising. The Money in Politics podcast is brought to you by Call Time AI. You're listening to Money in Politics, brought to you by Call Time AI. Campaigning is hard. Why not make fundraising easy? Using automation and artificial intelligence, Call Time AI lets you fundraise five times faster with easy-to-use tools like instant donor research, automated voicemail drop, and donor scoring, so that you are always calling the right person at the right time with the right ask. Go online to calltime.ai to schedule a demo and start your free trial today. Well, I'm here with Shola Farber. Thank you so much for joining us today, Shola. Absolutely. Thank you for having me in quarantine on your podcast. It's amazing what the 21st century technology will allow us to do, right? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Let's start, if you don't mind, with just sharing a little bit about who you are, what you do today, and what brought you to what you do today. Absolutely. So, My name is Shola Farber. I'm one of the co-founders of The Tuesday Company. We build digital organizing product called Team. I came to this work after my experiences organizing, working on the Clinton campaign in 2016 and in other circumstances, doing organizing work and realizing that I believe fundamentally in a couple core tenets of organizing and felt we really needed to modernize the ways that we were doing that work. So thinking through meeting people where they are and trust-based conversations and translating that into technology that we have in our pockets day in and day out in the modern era to make sure that we continue to meet people where they are and build relationships in order to do the advocacy work and campaigning work that's so important. And on that piece, the relationship building that you all spend so much time thinking about and translating how you kind of build those relationships and leverage, as you said, the technology in your pocket to help support and advance those. Can you just spend a few minutes? We're going to talk about a lot through the lens of money and how this kind of, you know, the fundraising, the spending, how that all impacts the work that you do and how you think about that. But just to take a step back and start first and foremost with what is relational organizing? What is relational digital organizing? How do you all think about that when you're building the tools that you're building, when you're supporting the advocacy organizations and the campaigns that you're supporting, the labor unions you're supporting? How do you all think about this relational digital organizing piece? Yeah, that's a great question. Taking a step back, I think it's important to explain fundamentally what relational organizing is. Um, I believe that good organizing starts with talking to friends and family talking to the people you know about the things that you care about, inspiring them to care about those things also, and then bringing them with 
you into the movement, into the fold of the work that you are advancing. And so that's good organizing. It is also what is known as relational organizing. Relational organizing is a concept that has come in and out of vogue in the last several decades. It's very, very much in fashion at this moment. And I think it's important to remember that that phrase really just refers to talking to people you know about the things that you care about. So it's not as scary or intimidating or like big strategic tactic that people might feel is hanging over them. It really is just the straight organizing work that we're all doing on a regular basis. And so when I think about translating that work into the digital space, I think about harnessing relationships that we already have and in order to to really put some social pressure on folks in our networks and in our communities in an effort to get them to do the right thing. There's a couple of different ways that you can do that in general and in teams specifically. I think one of them is on more traditional channels of social media. So thinking about Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, people in your network are sharing articles, content, ideas, feelings with you constantly. And so that is a form of social pressure that you're receiving. And if you're an organization that can harness that and push it back out into the world, you're in a really powerful position. One of the examples I think about a lot, especially in the fundraising realm, is the ACLU. So I don't know if this happened in your personal networks, but in my networks and with my friends and my community in the days following the Trump inauguration in 2017, Mm -hmm. January 2017, I saw a ton of my college friends and family and former colleagues posting on social media about the fact that they had just become members of the ACLU because they had donated, either set up recurring donations or donated an amount and they got their card in the mail. Mm -hmm. And there was this organic push among my friends saying very proudly, I just donated to the ACLU and posting about that on social media. I saw those posts and was inspired to share myself None of that came from ACLU, but it could have if they were using a resource like Team. They can drive that out into the world and really push people to be doing that work. And I think when we are imagining how technology can help us see more donations and more activism, figuring out how to take the work that people are already doing and the pride people already feel in their support of your organization and amplifying that across social media. The other way I should say is, so that's really the the part in social media. There's also Mm -hmm. the part through just straight up outreach. So more traditional kind of organizing where you're either making phone calls or in our case, you can be texting or messaging through Facebook or Instagram DMs, thinking about WhatsApp, other channels beyond just phone calls and thinking about using your micro influencer network to do work through modern technology that we really couldn't have even started to imagine two decades ago, let alone more than five years ago. And now it's quite commonplace. So it strikes me that what you describe as relational organizing, and then you did talk a bit about this as well, is pretty fundamental to just the core principles of good fundraising, right? Even when you're talking about non-network fundraising in the sense that you're not leveraging your network to fundraise on your behalf, even when a candidate is just starting out 
the number one recommendation they're receiving from everyone is you have to talk to the people you know about the things that you care about. And in exactly the way you put it, you kind of need to build from the inside out your own fundraising network. So it strikes me that there there are a lot of similarities to that. So it does seem to be a sort of obvious extension then that you would leverage your network and relational organizing to the effect of fundraising. I'm curious, though, what are your thoughts about speaking specifically about a candidate campaign for a second as compared perhaps to an organization like ACLU? What are your thoughts about how a candidate can effectively leverage their network to go make fundraising asks of people in their network? I understand that that team, correct me if I'm wrong, makes opportunities for that. So I'm curious to hear more about how it is that your platform allows for that and any sort of thoughts you have about the success of that. What makes that successful? What would get in the way of it becoming successful? Great questions. The short answer is yes, team makes that possible. In team, organizers can upload a target list and match that with the contacts in supporters' phones to direct people to speak specifically with the friends and family in their network who the organization wants to talk to. We can translate that to fundraising as well. Your fundraising directors and finance folks have lists of people who've either given to your previous campaigns or have demonstrated support for candidates with issues that are similar to the ones you're pushing forward. They have targets, essentially, of the people that you should be asking for money for. And you have hundreds or thousands of people on your phone, on your LinkedIn, in your personal networks and your communities who you know. So being able to match easily with one fell swoop, that's the power of technology, I think, Mm -hmm. that's really important here, right? A lot of times for candidates in the beginning, you would sit down and you write out your closest friends. And then you write out your next layer of like acquaintances and then the next layer of folks. And so you end up with concentric circles of people you're going to ask for money. We take a lot of the the legwork out of that by connecting the data automatically on the back end. The other thing is thinking about the data that you're parsing, you can be pulling lists with not only information about targets, but also their donor histories, right? That's data your finance folks also already have. And so you know that not only are you the best messenger to be reaching out to this person because you know them, but you know what the message specifically should be because you know how much they've given in the past or how far they are from maxing out. And you know what your goals are as a candidate or as an organization for the fundraising that you're doing. And finally, you can pick the best mode of communication. So on team, you have the option to post on social media, but you can also use any other channel that feels comfortable, both for you and for the person you're talking to. So if you're reaching out to folks that you went to grad school with who live abroad now, you might be using Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp. If you're talking to folks who are in your hometown and are still in your hometown, a regular text message might make more sense. So thinking about the ways that you're communicating. So not just basically like Messenger, message, and mode. Mm And the idea, just to clarify, is that not only is the campaign itself making those asks, but that messenger piece you were identifying, that is also suggesting that there may be messengers other than the candidate that are the best. 100%. Absolutely. So if you're a candidate, especially if you're a down-ballot candidate, but really any level of candidate, the starting point is you and your network. That's what you do on day one. As soon as you've raised money, especially once you've begun consistently raising money, the next step in that process for all of those people who've given you money is asking them to open up their networks to you. Because at this point, 
they've made their investment and they are now really strong potential advocates on your behalf, which brings us back to relational organizing and thinking about once your initial network of donors can become advocates who are inspired by your message and excited about the work that you might be doing when you are elected, they can go into their communities and basically speak on your behalf as a surrogate. So it's something we've seen called bundling in the past, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think there's a practitioner named Stephen Smith, who I worked with in 2016 on the Clinton campaign in Michigan. He's the first person I ever heard say digital is organizing. Mm-hmm. And he'd run around headquarters talking <laughs> about how digital is organizing and they are one in the same and you should be building holistic programs. And he was right. It's absolutely 100% true. You should integrate digital best practices into every aspect of what you do. When people have fundraised for you, when they have donated to you, you should also then be turning around and asking them to volunteer for you, right? There's a ladder of engagement that you can pull them through. So they can be sharing content, they can be contacting voters, and they can be fundraising as part of that. Because of the technology we have at our fingertips in products like Team, you don't have to have field and paid media and digital and fundraising as separate arms of the campaign. They can and should be integrated because the technology we have allows people to be held accountable for building effective integrated programs. And the avenue to do that most meaningfully is with a resource like Team that can help you tie together all of these different aspects. So, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Someone who's worked on campaigns, can I can certainly see the value of that. I'm curious, though, about where you think the boundaries are around the ability for fundraising to be successful in the hands of a third party to leverage the relational piece to bring in that next dollar. I'll give you a couple of things that I'm thinking about, and I'm curious about those things, but also anything else that comes to mind. One is that it's always sort of, I'll reveal some level of skepticism about certain levels of campaigns, usually further down the ballot, usually less natural name ID baked in, your state legislative candidates, your city councils, your school boards, et cetera, being, and even frankly, a lot of congressionals, I should add, being able to just hand off for some people the responsibility of making that direct ask of their network, just because I've seen so much fundraising happen where the cultural expectation, I guess, is that you're going to get a call from the candidate. And if you're going to part with a certain amount of money, especially if that candidate, again, is a little bit lower, uh, not as well known, and the ballot position is a little bit lower down, you sort of expect to hear from the candidate. I guess sort of hand in glove with that, but but slightly separate kind of question I have about it is amount, right? Because if someone's asking their friends, hey, can you chip in 25 bucks for this candidate I love? I could see that maybe landing a little differently than, again, me calling my friend and saying, hey, can you chip in $2,800 for this candidate? I I would imagine in that instance, that person would say, well, I'd love to hear from the candidate. And I I guess the last thing I'll add there, and then I'll turn it back over to you, is that I also will argue with myself here and say, (laughs) I certainly know that there are even instances where that's not the case because you just called out bundling, but even probably even a more ubiquitous practice is events, right? You ask people to host events. And when you ask them to host events, often the thing you're asking them to do is invite their network. And often there's a ticket price. And so they are doing some amount of fundraising on your behalf in that way. Although I will add that even in that moment, it leads to an opportunity to engage directly with the candidate. So that was a big windup, but I'm kind of trying to couch <laughs> in a diff- few different ways my, my various both like uh, excitements about this, but also some skepticism. I'm just curious your, your reactions to all that. I have so many, and I don't know if I'm going to remember all of them. I should have been writing down the the, the threads of ideas. It's my fault for rambling. (laughs) (laughs) One question at a time, Andrew. (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes, I should know better. (laughs) Um, 
So I think in terms of the ask, like how much is too much, I have a couple different theories on this case. The first one is it totally depends on your race and your community Mm -hmm. or your organization and the initiative you're fundraising for. Mm -hmm. I don't know your world as well as you do. So I can't say categorically it is impossible to max out amounts on team, for example. I do think that fundraising is fundamentally about being authentic and being personal. Mm-hmm. That's why we are used to hearing from the candidate because mm-hmm. we're expecting the candidate to say, I'm calling to pitch me and I'm pitching me because I believe in this thing. I'm doing this for this reason. This is my story, right? That type of storytelling is also really central to relational organizing and really central to any type of outreach that you should be doing among constituents, right? One of the things we spend a lot of time educating our clients on and supporting them in thinking about when they're looking to implement digital organizing is thinking about empowering supporters, Mm -hmm. distributing the program across your supporters, training them, giving them the resources and the guidance, the language and the confidence to do this work, and then letting it go. So I think that there are definitely limits for what people will be comfortable doing and they will raise their hand and tell you. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes knocking doors. Nobody likes making phone calls to strangers on landlines. We ask them to do this work and we tell them why it's important. Mm -hmm. And I would really strongly encourage taking those same organizing practices, the same things that staffers are doing day in and day out on campaigns and translating that to the digital organizing work that they're doing also to the fundraising work that you're doing. You brought up events, and I want to just take a moment to talk a little bit about that because I think it's really important in this moment when we are in a pandemic, quarantining, and not able to have events in the same way. First off, you're 100% right. When someone says, yes, I'm willing to host an event, what they're really saying is, yes, I'm willing to open up my personal network and ask people to give in the same way I've given because I care fundamentally about this thing. Yep. It is helpful infinitely more helpful if you can provide people who agree to host events, whether they're digital or in-person, with the individuals on the campaign's target list who they know should be the starting point for their outreach, right? And so using team to connect those dots is really powerful, and it helps them move faster to raise you more money more quickly and more efficiently. So I think events is another really good example, as well as bundling, that can be thought of as made more efficient and more effective with technology. The other thing is we've seen a ton of people hosting events around happy hour, around trivia night, around dance parties, around karaoke, where the candidate or an influential individual in the community comes and is a part of that conversation. So -hmm. it's not as intimate as the hope that you might get to have 30 seconds with the star in the cocktail hour part of the event, but you can still have some intimacy. And honestly, we're all living in this pandemic moment. And so candidates are consistently raising and organizations are consistently raising through virtual events as well. And I think that the use of technology, bringing in team to do this type of relational work as part of your trivia night, we're seeing demonstrable success from that in this moment. And speaking of that, the fundraising pieces of the platform, again, correct me if I'm wrong, I think some of those are are newer or or have evolved more recently. Is that right? Yeah. So there are, I've talked about a couple of the 
ways that you can activate supporters on team. You can ask them to share content on social media and you can ask them to talk to the people in their personal networks. Another component of activation that's possible on team and is newer on team now is called friend to peer outreach. So when you're sharing content on social media, you're amplifying that. When you're talking to the people you know about the things you care about, that's called friend to friend. The next feature that we're releasing that really pushes forward the opportunity to fundraise is called friend to peer. And with this feature, you're able to assign supporters people on a target list who they may not know and invite them to talk to those people and own those relationships. So thinking about question like how much money is too much money, people are uncomfortable, what is the best way to do this? One of the things that we've seen consistently is that when you commit to doing something, it's infinitely easier for you to convince other people to do what you just did. So if I just maxed out, I should be given a list of people who are close to maxing out and be invited to reach out to those people. I don't know them, but I just took that final step to give my full weight behind the candidate. And I am the best possible messenger to encourage someone else to do that. Answer questions they might have, concerns about policy issues or anything that's on their mind, because I've probably thought through those things too. The other thing that I think is super important to talk about that we've built into team is that relationships are not just between your supporters and your targets, whether they're fundraising targets or organizing targets. They're also between supporters and each other and between the organization or the candidate and the supporter. Mm -hmm. And so we've built out a really robust set of community features that allow your supporters to come back and ask questions or give feedback or talk to each other about what's working and what's not working. And that can be really powerful when we're talking about money, because I know that in our society in particular, it can be scary Mm -hmm. to be talking about the finances part of this work. And so having a forum where you're able to have an organizer in the mix, but really give space for people to ask questions and figure out the best way for them to tell their stories is super important for this to be successful. One of the things that I am always very passionate about and attentive to, and so it strikes me that it is relevant here, is the idea of expanding the universe of people who conceive of themselves as political donors and getting away from this idea that it's that it has to be some elitist thing that other people do to control the levers of power as opposed to something that everyone does as a means of political activism. I'm curious about your thoughts on how tools like team and just relational organizing in general can be leveraged in order to reduce sort of the barrier to entry, if you will, and whatever some of the stigmas might be around crossing that threshold into the realm of political philanthropy. Great question. I think that there are two ways to answer this. I think the relational organizing part of it is, I think that fundraising in some circles, at least, is already there with tactics like event hosting and bundling. I think that the opportunity in front of us is with technology building out more holistic programs that you can track and scale. So one of the things that's really unique and important in how we built team is that it is by organizers, for organizers, which means we're thinking about campaigns and organizations that are making decisions based on data that are hierarchical and that are metrics-based. And so thinking about how you fit in all of the work that you're doing into your online organizing presence, 
fundraising and other things. Because I think a lot of times as practitioners and as people running programs and strategizing about running programs, and even as vendors, oftentimes selling products or selling data or selling anything into this space, we're really thinking about a specific set of customers doing a specific piece of the puzzle for the campaign or for the organization. But from the perspective of a supporter or a person out in the world, they fundamentally care about the candidate, they care about their community, they care about advocating for this issue, and they don't necessarily draw the same lines that we're drawing departmentally within an organization. Uh So from a supporter's perspective, being asked to share a piece of content one day and then being invited to connect with a couple of their friends and invite them to an event the next day, and a week later being asked to chip in $5 towards X initiative, and then a few days after that being asked to share on social media that they chipped in a few dollars, and then a few days after that being asked to expand the universe of targets for the organization by inviting a new friend in or making an ask of a new friend. All of those are ways that you can activate supporters on team. And they are ways that for the supporter will feel very natural because they're just getting a notification on their phone that there's something for them to do about this organization that they're really passionate about or this candidate or this cause that they think is super inspiring and they want to support. From the perspective of a practitioner, That takes a lot of coordination across departments, across digital and paid media and fundraising and organizing, digital organizing, mobilization, field, email, across the gamut, right? And so having a single tool that is the foundation of your program is really powerful because you can help break down those barriers in terms of what it means to be contributing to the campaign. Let me shift gears here as kind of our our, our last uh, bit of the conversation to the other side of the ledger, which is not the raising side, but the spending side. I'm curious, as a provider in this space, as a vendor in this space, a lot has changed in the way that campaigns, whether they're candidate campaigns or organizations or, or causes, the way they think about their budget when it comes to investments that they have to make in order to you know, achieve whatever their goals may be, win the election, pass the measure, et cetera. Even the point you were just making struck me as something that would require a little bit of a paradigm shift in the head of the decision maker to say, I am going to take this tool that didn't exist a few years ago, right? Was, is relying on technology that has only existed for so long. And I need to kind of rethink how I build my campaign in that highly integrated way, which you speak about in such a compelling way, right? It, it makes a lot of sense. But how do you actually get the campaigns to think about their spending on these kinds of tools, on these kinds of organizational, like internal organizational programs? How do you get them to think about it in the way that you're describing? And and I guess beyond just how do you do it, I'm curious about what your experience has been about how it has evolved and how people have been responsive and how people have changed the way that they approach the structure of their advocacy campaigns, of their candidate campaigns, as technology has changed around them and the opportunities to leverage that technology has changed? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one of my favorite things to talk about. So I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> so I I came to organizing after spending some time in the private sector. I worked on economic policy in the Obama White House as well. So I had a couple kind of different careers before mm-hmm. I moved into this space. And one of the things that I've noticed in the last couple years in the world of organizing and in the world of campaigning is that this space moves fairly quickly, but less quickly, I think, than other industries. 
And so when we came up with this idea to build a platform that would connect the dots between traditional field organizing and digital or the modern era, we were thinking about team as a bridge between digital and field. And we pitched it that way. We talked to campaigns, we talked to organizations, we talked to labor unions and say, we are here to help you bridge the gap between digital and field because low-income populations, minorities, and young voters, the primary people you need to be talking to, are not going to answer a phone call to a landline and they move too frequently for you to knock on their door. You have to meet them where they are and they're on their phones. So let's help you do that. In 2017, people were not ready for that. We were pitching digital teams. They were focused on ad buying. We were pitching field teams. They were focused only on doors. And it was really hard because the technology itself can't be a bridge. It has to be a means to make your existing strategy more efficient and more effective. So we really focused our efforts and our product and our work on field teams, because in order to use team effectively, you have to be recruiting supporters and giving them content to share and running an organizing program. You can't just do it all on your own. And so we really focused our work on supporting the organizing departments for the first couple of years. What we saw in 2018 is that there's the beginnings of campaigns hiring someone to serve as that middle person between digital and field. So there were a couple of our clients that had a digital organizing director or a person or people who were responsible for doing organizing on Facebook, on Twitter, on social media, and recruiting volunteers to be doing that work as well. In 2019, we saw many more people in that mobilization type role or digital organizing type position. And it's now by 2020, I think it's fairly commonplace. And so in a sense, we were well ahead of the curve on that. And folks are catching up to us, which is exciting because we're here and we're ready and we want to help. We also now have years of experience working with organizations as they're adapting to this new world that we live in with technology. I think one of the things that is most helpful, honestly, is talking to other practitioners who are doing this work really well. So thinking about some of our clients who have been really effective at this work, they're publishing op-eds, they are putting themselves out there, they're speaking on panels, they're really being a public face of online organizing and digital organizing. I think that's really powerful. Election day only happens once. You know, It's scary to adopt something new. You only have one shot, and I understand that, but we are in a place, especially because of the coronavirus. But honestly, as a society, we have come to a place where if you're not doing digital organizing, you are leaving votes on the table and you are missing a huge portion of the people you should be working with. Nonprofits are facing an existential crisis because the vast majority of their donors are sitting in their house, writing a check and mailing it. They're over the age of 65. And when those people age out of being donors, they're not going to have a backup group, right? Unless they start their online organizing and their online fundraising now. So let's actually leave it with just your, I'll say both predictions, but we can also make it aspirational. Your hopes for what you are looking for for the rest of this 2020 cycle as far as smart investments in digital organizing, either on the fundraising side or just more generally and beyond 2020, I mean, you you just you just told a story that, as you pointed out, had some actually quite rapid change, right? Even just between 2017, 2018, 2019. So I'm just curious, as you're 
looking at 2020, what are you hopeful for? What do you predict? And maybe same thing for beyond 2020. 2020 is a really crazy thing to predict at this moment because we are (laughs) living in an unprecedented time. There is a pandemic. I am not going to pretend to be the person with a magic ball (laughs) on this one. Um, I do think that it's super important, especially now. It's springtime. We are six months from election day, approximately. We're in a place today where you have the time to build a strong online organizing program and to do real relational. I think one of the biggest lessons that we took out of 2017 when we first started this work and have been very strong proponents of since is that this organizing work has to be part of the foundation of your strategy. Organizing online is not an add-on. It should be a part of every single piece of everything that you do, including the fundraising, including the ad buying, including the door knocking and phone calls, if we're able to do that. But because we're in a pandemic and because so much is unpredictable right now, committing to, at the very base, giving your supporters something to do and consistently engaging with them starting now is super important. This is not something you'll be able to flip a switch and turn on in October when you realize you've not been organizing for the last six months the way you normally would have in a normal election year, right? And so that's one thing. I think the other thing is this isn't only for election years. Team was built as a movement building tool. It is something that you can use for every flashpoint that you have in your whole cycle, every phase that you go through. There are ways that you should be thinking about empowering your supporters and activating them to do this work with you and for you in their own communities. And so I really encourage folks, and I'm really looking forward to watching more and more organizations adopt this mentality where They're buying team now for the election, but they're signing 18-month, 24-month, 36-month contracts because this is their long-term plan, right? This year, they're doing 2020 election. They're doing census. Then they're thinking about redistricting. They're thinking about the midterms. They're thinking about the next presidential. And there's a ton of legislative activity happening in between that they're working on. We're seeing that with candidates as well, right? You want to get elected, and then once you're elected, How are you going to keep in touch with your constituents? How are you going to make sure they know about the work that you're doing? Building this base of digital supporters and cultivating that over time is super important. I think that's really the next frontier in terms of good digital organizing. Yeah, just as it was the case at the beginning of our conversation, we're sort of ending in a place where it's amazing to me the the resonance throughout all aspects of a campaign because a common refrain that we offer to candidates and and that we hear from other experts is fundraising no matter what platform it's happening on really needs to be relational, not transactional. And a big piece of that is not letting it just start and end with an election year calendar. Otherwise, it sort of feels intrinsically transactional because it, you're only popping up on people's radars when there's a election on the horizon. So, so I, I certainly hear you. Totally true. Basically, a good example of the transactional nature of fundraising and one of the reasons relational can help us pull away from that is thinking about institutions like universities that do annual fundraising drives and have fiscal years that they're pushing towards. I was involved with the senior class gift when I was on campus. I was elected to lead that effort. And our goal was not to raise a certain amount of money. The goal was to have maximum participation of the graduating class. I'm now very long time out of college. And every year as I'm going to make my donation, I will text a handful of 
friends and acquaintances, people I worked with on the senior class gift and people who were my roommates or were on my ultimate Frisbee team or were in my outdoor adventure club in the arts organization that I ran. I'll reach out to a group of people and just let them know that I donated and invite them to do the same. So the university is pushing towards their June fiscal year fundraising efforts, but they're also able to harness my relational organizing efforts as someone who cares, who's not giving in large amounts, but is consistently giving. So I graduated in 2012. I gave in $20.12 in 2012 and have continued to do that, which is meaningful to the university because I'm showing my lifelong support, right? It's also funny. And it's a great way for me to communicate (laughs) this with my friends and my family and my network. And it's a great way to push forward the idea that You don't have to only work on the organization's timeline. You can be using relational within your annual efforts, but in a way that feels comfortable for folks. Yeah, that's a great example. And I often think there's actually a lot of lessons to be learned in the fundraising space and beyond on the campaign side of things. Mm -hmm. When you look just a little bit beyond our world of of electoral politics, it's always nice to hear about the good work that's happening outside of it. Well, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the work that you do. I think this has been really interesting and, and certainly deep in my understanding of both digital tools and again, kind of how they're being leveraged to build deeper relationships and kind of leverage your network to improve fundraising performance and beyond. So thanks for all you're doing and thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Stay up to date with the latest fundraising trends, forecasts, and advice by going to the CallTime AI blog at www.calltime.ai and follow us on Twitter at CallTime AI.